Culinary Institute of Child Nutrition proudly welcomes you to The Mix-Up, an iBytes production. I'm your host, Chef Patrick Garmong, mixing it up with culinary experts from the child nutrition community. Welcome back to The Mix-Up. I am here today with Chef Samantha Gasparo. I'm so honored to have her join us today. I've known Sam for a few years now, and she is the ultimate champion in child nutrition. So thank you for joining me today. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's get started a little bit talking about your path into child nutrition and how you got here into the space. All right. So I started my food journey at Johnson and Wales with a culinary nutrition degree. So I always knew that nutrition was a big part of my culinary path um, after working in restaurants and as a professional chef and as a personal chef for professional athletes. Um, I kind of fell into school nutrition. I moved to Maine and a district was hiring and I spent six years as the chef nutrition coordinator in Maine, really working with the district for training, um, implementing new recipes, developing new recipes, cooking club for kids, getting our school gardens to a functional place where they actually were um, growing the food. The students were growing the food. They were um, picking the food. They were delivering it to our cafeteria and they were helping prepare it. And then they were enjoying it on their salad bars. So we kind of made this wonderful program and they still have that great program there led by um, Jeannie Riley in Maine. And then um, we also did a lot of farm to school initiatives with that. And then I began working, um, left the district and began working on healthy school recipes, which is a collaboration with Kathy Powers for a recipe database. So school nutrition programs around the country can go there and get any recipe they want. They can search it by ingredient. And it's just a, a great resource. Um, that was one of my biggest obstacles when I was working for a district was um, scouring every PDF in every corner of the internet. For, <laughs> I hear that. For a recipe that worked. So we really wanted to consolidate that. And I also work with districts in Maine um, just different districts implementing training, staff training. We do culinary trainings and also on this cultural meals project that has just been amazing for the last couple of years. Yeah, I want to dive into that. Um, but we got some other stuff I want to chat about too. Right. So what it, like um, I'm imagining, and this is myopic of me, but a farm to school program in Maine. When are you growing anything when kids are in school? And perhaps <laughs> it's just a misconception about the weather in Maine, but I'm picturing it being a little bit of a challenge. So surprisingly, we would grow lettuce in our hoop house every month except for February. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we were able to, and it was it was outside in our hoop house, um, and it was just amazing. One of our schools just has this amazing garden. And really, because you have a champion in the school, you know, a teacher that is dedicated to seeing it and passionate about it as well. We had just had a couple of really great teachers across our district that were passionate about school gardens. So we were very fortunate on that front. Yeah. Um, and we did a lot of freezing because, like you said, in Maine, our growing season is uh, like two minutes long in the right. summer. Right. <laughs> well, it's so important to have those community partners within the school building, outside the school building to, to foster those things because it's already a huge upheaval to just manage and administer these programs without adding the, the cool extras like school gardens. So that's really great that you guys were able to incorporate that. You also mentioned a cooking with kids, cooks for kids, What something... Yeah. What was that? So before I worked in school nutrition, actually, while I was working in the Boston area, just as a chef, I helped run a cooking school for kids and adults and immediately saw that when you got picky eaters or even kids with um, food allergies that were almost afraid of food, uh -huh. if they were cooking it and they were 
you know, preparing it and they knew what was in it. They were trying all of these things. So for about eight years, I helped manage and run a cooking school for kids. And um, that's actually what I wanted to do when I went to Maine, but uh-huh. I fell into the school district, which really <laughs> worked out great. Yeah. Um, and I immediately started. That was one of the first things I did because in a in a land where I walked into school nutrition and I didn't know anything about anything. Right. That was a whole lot of learning I had to do that first year that the cooking club felt like a comfortable place for me. So I started that almost immediately so I could just cook with kids and have a good time and that (laughs) felt comfortable. So we were able to develop new recipes and then put them in our cooking club, have our students make them, send them home with them, their families would try them and then they would see them on the menu and they would go in the lunch line and be like, hey, I made that a cooking club to their friends and encourage them to try it. Wow. What what an incredible way to like tie it all yeah. together and get that buy-in early and you're you're putting together recipes the kids enjoy they're advocating for your program i mean that's a, that's a awesome model yeah um did you all have a program like a home economics or a family consumer science program that they had a kitchen on site that you did that with or did you cook in the commercial kitchen there at the school with the kids we actually were in one of the unfortunate districts that um, family consumer sciences got cut so we didn't have that program. Um, the kitchens were all being used for other things. So we just set up our cafeteria and used the kitchen, um, our, our school nutrition kitchens, our commercial kitchens for the kids. They mostly cooked like outside in the cafeteria, but sometimes they were in the kitchen depending on what we were doing. But yeah, they awesome. were all hands on. Yeah, it was great. So you don't have to have that infrastructure to be able to do these things is what's great, right? You can exactly just a little ingenuity and figure out how to make it happen and i think it's just a such a powerful way to draw the 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 students into the program so yeah absolutely super cool yeah and we got um we were a district um with about a 30 percent free and reduced percentage so we didn't get a lot of grant funds so we Uh made every um we really looked you know high and low for everything and to start our cooking club we got a um scholar uh to start the cooking club we got a grant from a local car dealership oh wow yeah and it was just a couple thousand dollars and it funded our program and that's exactly what we needed so you know sometimes it's not always about looking where you think the funds are and just go into your community so they can support you right i mean just a a simple ask sometimes and you know the worst they can tell you is no right so it doesn't hurt to just pull those community members in and um, see if you can get some sponsorships or whatever just to help out with these programs so speaking of drawing kids in with the the cooking club, um, you know, having recipes that resonate with them is huge. Um, I'm sure that kind of helped inspire your current work where you're working on doing ethnically, uh, culturally relevant recipes within the community. Can you tell me a little bit more about how that started and what y'all are doing and kind of the, I guess, three part question. Yeah. How did it start? <laughs> how did it go? And then where's it going now and how's it working? So. Um, how did it start? So there's a director, Mary Emerson. She's the director of school nutrition for Westbrook Public Schools in Maine, which is a, a um, city town um, right next to Portland. And she got a grant during COVID to work on this project. And that was kind of our first stump, like uh, roadblock, I would say, from the beginning was that it was during COVID. So trying to find someone to come in and be in to develop these recipes was kind of a tricky piece. But the grant was really to understand and get an idea of what the students were eating in the community, not like what we thought they were eating, not as a chef, what I would serve if I was 
dreaming up, you know, a Central African inspired dish, but really authentically, how are these recipes being made? We want to take what's happening in their kitchens and put it in the school nutrition kitchens and give them a taste of home. Right. Um, so that was really the goal of this. And she is this director in particular is so passionate and so driven and so dedicated to feeding her students and really representing the students diverse background on her menu. Um, it's just something that's very important to her. And she's so inspiring in that way. And it's been so great working with her. And so we um, looked for a while. We did some staff trainings. We kept looking um, language barriers propped up to some of the people that were yeah, um, potential. So there were some some uh, stumbling blocks, but we never gave up and we kept looking. And then all of a sudden, this name kind of popped up to us and it was a woman, Khadija Ahmed, and she is a chef and she has been cooking. She had been cooking for a couple of local food banks and she had also started an African mobile market when she came over here in the 90s supplying food that the immigrants would recognize right. when they first came over here, right? Because we, our food culture is very different. Very different. Very, very different and hard to navigate and still actually may not get sick, you know, as right. she was saying. so. Yeah. So she came in and um, she was a wealth of knowledge and we just hit it off right away. She has become a dear friend and we um, developed a lot of recipes. We played in the kitchen. Um, I learned so much. Um, nutmeg is the staple of her cuisine. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which is crazy because yeah. in our, you know, in our cooking culture, it's a lot of um, sweet dishes that you might find that in. Right. But no, it's in everything she cooks and it's absolutely delicious. Yeah. So, so we developed these recipes. And, um, so I just basically worked with her in the kitchen and then I took her recipes and I, I tried to standardize them, credit them. Uh -huh. And then in large scale, we went and did taste tests with the students, but really we just in Westbrook, we just stuck it on the menu. We just said, uh -huh. here it is. And we were really just trying to test the yield at a hundred to make, to standardize the recipe. Right. Absolutely. We, yeah. We weren't really, you know, <clears throat> trying to do anything else than that. So it was, you know, not really super popular by the kids, but we didn't market it. We didn't advertise it. It was just purely for the recipes. Right. So that's when Portland came in. Um, Portland Public Schools wanted to be a part of this project, and they have quite an amazing community that supports them with through Food Corps, Cultivating Community, all these different organizations that helped facilitate taste tests. Um, we went to Portland Public Schools and we took these recipes that we developed and we did um, taste tests and focus groups and really focused in on what the students liked, didn't like, wanted, what the community wanted with these recipes, how they felt. And yeah. we had um, a local food studies grad school program at University of Southern Maine that analyzed all the data for it. And oh, they, wow. Yeah, like we, it was just such like a community. Yeah. Yeah, it was get, getting, huge. yeah, getting everyone involved. You know, when it comes to schools, that's hard to manage when you have so much else going on as a director or someone right. working in the district and you're thinking about all these other things. Gathering a lot of community members can be hard, but it pays off in the end because it makes the workload a lot lighter through the, throughout the course of the project. You right. Know? Yeah. And I mean, you're gathering all that buy-in too from a variety of different stakeholders that are having conversations within their own circles that you may never reach and you're creating awareness of the programs that may not have been there otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And that support and that, you know, knowing you're trying to do this and implement these. So we did it just with the high schools um, and we did staff training at the same time so they could understand what the recipes were, how to make them. Um, and so it was just, it, it went really well. The students, it was 
heartwarming is the only thing that comes to mind whenever right. I reflect back on that experience. We did three different taste tests and three focus groups. And what we just kept hearing was, this is like what my mom cooks. It feels oh, like man. home. And then, you know, the coolest part was that it it started conversation. And this is why I love food. Like this like makes right. me so happy. It's like it started conversations between students that had never had that food before and students yeah. that felt like that was their food. And it was like wonderful, beautiful, loving conversations connecting culturally through food. And it was just That's amazing. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you expand the the knowledge base and education base, not just of nutrition, but of, you know, just globalization really. And, and how we all connect and are interconnected on this planet together. That's, that's huge. I think that's sometimes a, a really big missing component in what we do. Um, you know, and, and creating that safe space through food for students, you know, schools, unfortunately have not become the safe space that they used to be 20, 30 years ago because of outside influences that come in. And, um, so having that, creating that, just that, one area of safe space through food is is so huge and impactful for those students. Okay. Were there any ingredients that were new to you in this in this project, or that you might have had trouble finding, like a um, accrediting component in the food buying guide? I'm, I'm um, I don't think for this project we kept it really simple because we wanted to use in this time of when we were doing this when we developed these recipes back in like early 2021 uh-huh. we were like in the height of you know we were everything was still pretty wild you right know? I mean, supply chain yeah. what can you get what's going to be available yeah so we really went with what was in the pan what was in this district's pantry you know okay. what was in their freezer and you know we had beans we had chicken we had the frozen peppers and onions all of that worked so well yeah with a lot of this because the base of this cuisine the central african cuisine was really pureeing your vegetables your vegetables and your spices are adding flavors. She would have loved to use um, palm oil. That uh-huh. was really hard to source. So we right. had to just go for, you know, a ble- oil blend. Uh-huh. <clears throat> but for the most part, everything else, she was just really go with the flow. Like we cook what's here. Right. Yeah. And she would prefer fresh tomatoes. But in winter in Maine, that's got no flavor. We got right. nothing with a fresh tomato. Yeah. So we're going to use the the canned diced tomatoes because they're going to add r- more robust flavors. So we just worked on that a lot, like how to interchange, because that was a big part of the staff training, because you might have a standardized recipe that says use this vegetable, these three vegetables, you know, peppers, fresh peppers, onions, and um, tomatoes, but it's not, they're not always the same. Food changes, right. food is different. So you have to understand the flavor components, the seasonality to it, yeah. and then make adjustments, you know, frozen, great. Right. And that works well, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, the cool thing about that too is, you know, you're not bringing in a bunch of different hard to source ingredients and all the ingredients you listed are ones that cross over into almost every single ethnic, uh, culturally diverse cuisine out there. Yeah. Right. I mean, those are, those are staple core ingredients. And as we're talking about trying to do more economizing our menus and reducing the skews and, and having a more stable supply chain, because we're not putting 30,000 skews into our system. We're trying to keep it to a limited number that's a great way to be able to use those products in a multitude of different ways and bring that comfortability of food from home to these students, or at least food that they have at home that now is being served in the cafeteria. So absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Beans and rice. I mean, right. if you look across cultures, that is, you can do so much with those two affordable ingredients. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's huge. Um, so 
what was what was the name of the dish or dishes or recipes? Do you have any names? So we made so it ended up um we ended up um doing a chicken and kale stew was the most successful. So okay. that was gonna be implemented um just at the high school level, but in Portland public schools, it was so successful they actually put it on K through twelve. So wow. even the elementary school kids, they did a taste test. They were like, let's just do it. We have the resources, we have the time. Yeah. And the kids loved it. So now they have a central kitchen model for their elementary schools. So it's super easy for them to produce. And uh-huh. we went in and we figured out the training model and showed them how to make it for, um, I think we made it for 300 and then 800 and we made sure it scaled up well, yeah. right? So really making sure the infrastructure of that recipe, because every recipe needs to be standardized to a kitchen. Because yeah. we developed it in Westbrook. They don't have a central kitchen. They don't produce it for thousands, right? right? So every time you move a recipe around, it must be standardized to your kitchen. Thank you for making that point. <laughs> I keep trying to make that point. I made that point louder for the people in the back, yeah. please. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's so true, though. I mean, what works in one kitchen may not work in another, and it has to do with equipment or scaling. I mean, when you scale a recipe, there's there's challenges to it. And that that 50 serving recipe that you found, you know, on Healthy School Recipes or USDA recipes, when you go to scale that for a thousand servings, you, you got to do some practice yeah. of that. You can't just, you know, throw the numbers out there and hope it works. No, you know, there's some yeah. there's some some challenges there so it requires some testing and when you're scaling at volume sometimes the way you have to do it is by just making that one of the line items that day and sampling it with students and trying it out because you can't just make a thousand servings and then not have anywhere for it to go that's not fiduciarily (laughs) responsible right And we want to be good stewards of our funds so sometimes you know as much as we want to try in small batches to to get things out there for students you know once we start doing that scaling you know sometimes just got to go on the line so that you can really understand where you hit and where you missed and tweak it for next time. Yeah, so. absolutely. It's so important to do that. Um, and so now we're excited because these recipes have been successful. The community's on board. We've had great community engagement because that's what you really have to do when creating these new um, kind of projects in schools. And this is the tricky part is, is you have to get that community engagement. That's how we yeah. were successful in Wyndham Raymond schools in Maine when I worked there. That's why this project has been successful because the community is such an, I mean, they're your customers. If I right. was, if I had a restaurant, that would be my customers. If yeah. we looked at it in that model, which yeah. it exactly is, I don't know why it seems foreign to right. <laughs> say I mean, it like that. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. I mean, but, yeah, it's a restaurant, right? Yeah. It's a cafeteria. It's largest restaurant in any town. It really is, you know, and, and doing more covers in a shorter window than any other restaurant, even, oh my your, goodness. even your quick service, right? Yeah. I mean, anywhere from, you know, Smaller districts pumping out 50 meals to a, you know, a group of kindergartners in a five minute window. Yeah. You know, that's huge to all the way to, um, you know, 1500 meals out of 15 service lines over a 20 minute meal period because the meal periods aren't long enough. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just the work that is done in this space is incredible and underappreciated. I think sometimes when people don't understand all the logistical challenges that go into what we do. No question. They are great. You know, these nutrition professionals they you know they work so hard and i'll tell you i am impressed every time i go because i get you know i'm able to go into lots of different kitchens and see how they work and you know it's it's easy for me to see oh hey like you could do this different and make good suggestions but then also coming into their space and seeing how well they know it right and i was in a kitchen um a couple months ago and they predicted 
their, I mean, they, I think they had one sandwich left at the end of the day. Wow. Of all that's their forecasting they right were there. Like, I was like, that is the most amazing thing. I yeah. am like, kudos bowing to you because it's just incredible. And they do such an amazing job doing, it's not like that every day, but pretty no. close, you know, yeah. they do. So, it's amazing. Yeah. And you know, that, that forecasting component is so important mm -hmm. for all these supply chain struggles, right? You need to know how many you're going to be serving so you can communicate that out with your, your vendors so they can communicate that to the manufacturers. They're going to communicate that to the growers, right? So, I mean, sometimes we think that the, the folks that we're buying the food directly from, right? Your, your, your shippers, that that's the only part of the, the supply chain that's affected by what you do. And it, it really, it reaches the entire way to the grower. They need to know what to put in the field or how many, you know, chickens or cattle, you know, whatever to, to raise that year to meet demand. So, um, that's an important piece of what we do is that forecasting. aspect. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you are out there working in so many different kitchens. And I think it's a model that, um, is, is important for folks to re recognize, you know, not every district is gonna be able to bring a chef on. Right. But there are so many great talented consultants out there like yourself that can go in and, and provide some of those services, not just to like get your staff trained on knife skills or how to read a recipe, but really go in there and take a peek behind the curtain and see like, yeah, here's a few things you could tweak to become a little bit more efficient. Or, you know, let's work on this recipe together so that we can make something that works for your students, you know? And I think people just like kind of throw their hands up and they're like, oh, I can't work with a chef. But there's so many out there that are doing such great work in this space. And you're obviously one of them. And, um, you know, we need more folks like you that get what we're doing and um, can, can help programs, you know, improve what they're doing and um, just bring that level of, you know, technical expertise but the way you do it and so many of our peers do it it's in a soft gentle way because we understand the the environment we understand who we're working with we're not just some white knight coming in to solve all the problems you know just trying to help programs reach the goals that they want to reach absolutely you know you want a chef that knows school nutrition and has experience in school nutrition because that's so important to understanding how the flow is going to work and one thing I've done with um, a few schools in Maine is just going in to help with kitchen efficiencies, you know, and, and this happened when I was working for the district, my district, you know, by year five, I was in a routine. I was like, I was rolling and that's the way I'd always done it, you know? So right. it's like, it's hard even like myself, it's hard to not kind of get in that groove, but until you remove yourself and come back and you're like, oh, wow, why was I doing it that way? Right. You know, but it's, it's so hard. And so a chef can offer those fresh eyes yeah. to just help with flow of food because that's the way we think, right? You know, right. I just like time things. I don't know why in my head, like <laughs> how many meatballs can I scoop or how long to take those dishes to go through the dishwasher? What's what, you right. know, like, yeah. what could we do differently? Like, it's just, I don't know, maybe it's a chef thing, but my brain kind of oh. works like that. No, absolutely. I'm obsessed with time, right? <laughs> like I'm I, like, I always know what time it is. I'm never late to anything. <laughs> if I am, I have, I mean, if I'm, you know, uh, somewhere's three minutes away and I'm five minutes out, like I have anxiety, even though I know I'll get there on time. I'm anxious that I might miss that window. Right. Because everything's about timing in our world. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Sometimes. That explains so much. Maybe that's why I feel like that too. Yeah. I thought it was kids, but maybe <laughs> uh, I think kids might have something to do with it too. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, and that's, that's one of the fun parts too, talking to you is like, we both have kids mm -hmm. um, and we're trying to help them, not just the children of the nation, but our own kids on their, their food choice journeys. Like, are, are there things that you found crossover with taking from school to home or vice versa that 
have helped you um, in your culinary journey with with school nutrition? Um, I think that's such a good question um, that I haven't really put a lot of thought in, but I do know, but it's something that I should think about. Um, I think that with my, my son is like, I've kind of raised, he's lived, we live in the town that I used to be the chef in. So Uh like when I was doing all this stuff, I was like, it's for them. You know, he was like a baby at the time, but, and he gets school lunch every day, even before it was free. We have universal free meals in Maine, but like he loves school meals. He has broadened his palate through school meals. He would never eat chili at home and he eats the chili at school. Like it is, he's willing to try things because it's that kind of positive peer pressure environment. And, you know, the one thing I've really taken back as I raise my kids and send them off to school is that they are educated on offer versus serve. And they (laughs) know, you know, because I think that's a huge component of it. A school nutrition program can't do everything. And the kids have to know how to navigate the line, understand it. There's a good chunk of kids in elementary that can't read. So put up all the signs you want, yeah. but they're not going to get it, you know? And and so I think that parent education pieces. So I don't know if that really answers the question, but that's something I've like really kind of drilled into him at home because yeah. I, I want it to be smooth and easy and efficient for him and the staff at the school. No, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, for me, it's it's been a challenging because I have two kids that have special needs and early on they were really good eaters and now they have navigated away from being really good eaters and you know with this role it's kind of challenging thinking like oh his kids must eat like you know the most healthy stuff on earth you know no we're we're human too and we we have to make our our um compromises some days just to make sure our kids get fed but um you know it's kind of helped me realize that there's not a single way to do things right there's there's multiple pathways and reaching those end goals is the important part so it may not be the the straight line that you think it is but learning how to navigate those and and patience i think more than anything being a parent and working with my kids especially around food has taught me how to be very patient yeah and i think that helps translate to the work i do now yeah absolutely that's a good point it's it's a wild ride, but I think especially with food, it is. And it, it gets, as a chef, I'm sure you get it too. They're like, oh, your kids probably eat all this. And I'm like, no, they are still deconstructed <laughs> yeah. kids. They like, <laughs> you know, they like everything separate, not touching. And that's okay because as long as they know what broccoli tastes like and they understand right. what each individual vegetable, the only thing I think I've pushed with my kids is beans because I just think they're yeah. like a superfood. I'm like, right. you must eat your beans. Yeah, <laughs> It's <right>. nothing else. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. Awesome. Well, what what other big projects do you have coming up soon? So um, to kind of continue on this cultural meals project in Maine has really is continuing. It's just like the beginning of, I'll say it snowball because I'm in Maine, but like yeah. it's, <laughs> it's really like just the beginning. So we, um, well, <clears throat> uh, organization in Maine, the Gulf of Maine Research Institute just got a great grant to... Um, implement more fish in schools because in maine we have a a farm to sea in school program Uh not just farm to school so we're creating these recipes that are um based around fish we can also use kelp and things for different yeah (laughs) Yeah, it'll be interesting yeah um so for cultural meals but in this project we're going to bring in not only khadijah and myself will be working on some central african and african recipes but Uh then we're going to try to bring in a native american chef Oh, um, cool. And some other cultures that should be represented in Maine that yeah. are in our schools and in our communities. And we want them to be represented because we really want to develop resources that allow schools, 
easy and smooth implementation for this. Yeah. Um, there's another project to put together some um, information and resources for schools around halal foods and how to serve that properly. Um, standard operating procedures, food lists, things like that, and just education around that for school districts as we begin to sort of open the door and maybe take a step in these directions for the schools that want to do that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, that's just, that's incredible work. I'm, yeah. I'm so excited to hear about it. Um, it. We have a lot of parallels in the work we do, but um, you know, there's, there's so many great school nutrition professional chefs out there that there's room for everyone to play in the sandbox, right? That's what our yeah. executive director says. So, the more we can cross pollinate, bounce ideas off of each other, keep working in the right direction, um, the stronger we're going to make this entire field. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Sam, it's been so great. Hanging yeah, out with you today. it's so awesome. You know, yeah. I love I love the community of school nutrition and how we do all work together. I think that's one of my favorite pieces. Like you, you said it right. It's like we're you know everyone's sharing because yeah. it's that's how we get we be- get better faster. You know, and I learn from from you and everyone else and it's just been it's an amazing amazing yeah. group i mean i don't think any of us have come up with a really an original idea yeah. we've taken a spin on somebody else's yeah. right so yeah. yeah well i know you got something you got to run to so i don't want to take up too much more of your time <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today this has been so much fun it's great to reconnect it's been like three years since we've seen each other in person because of the way the world's been but it's so good to see you again and um i'm just i'm really grateful for your time yeah thank you so much i'm grateful for you and look forward to all that's to come absolutely yeah all right join us on the next mix up thanks everybody join us next time as we continue to mix it up with culinary experts from the child nutrition community i've been your host chef patrick garmong from the culinary institute of child nutrition hey don't forget to wash your hands project has been funded at least in part with federal funds from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Food and Nutrition Service through an agreement with the Institute of Child Nutrition at the University of Mississippi. The contents of this publication do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, nor does mention of trade names, commercial products, or organizations imply endorsement by the U.S. government. The University of Mississippi is an EEO AA Title VI, Title IX, Section 504, ADA, ADEA employer. In accordance with federal law and U.S. Department of Agriculture policy, this institution is prohibited from discriminating on the basis of race, color, national origin, sex, age, or disability. To file a complaint of discrimination, write USDA Director, Office of Civil Rights, Room 326W. Whitney Building, 1400 Independence Avenue, Southwest, Washington, D.C., 202-509410, or call 202-720-5964. USDA is an equal opportunity provider and employer.